Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the How to Save Our Planet podcast. I'm Lottie DL, a sustainability expert. And today for the first episode, we're kicking off with the girls from Tubes. Now, Jess and Steph have come quite naturally into sustainability. And I think that their journey is oh so relatable and something that everybody that is listening today can learn something from, but maybe also have a laugh as well. So let's get into it. So first of all, thank you both so much for coming on today. I wanted to first of all really talk about your personal journeys to sustainability. Is living sustainably something that you've always done or have your habits shifted over time? So I'm not sure, Jess, do you maybe want to go first? This is actually funny. I was having this conversation with a friend of mine two nights ago. We were discussing how we found our way to caring about the environment and For me, what was coming up was my love for animals. I've always really loved animals. I've always felt this super strong connection with animals. Like I almost feel like I understand them more more than I do people. So I became vegetarian for that reason. That was when I was about 19, which is, oh my gosh, 11 years ago now. And that was probably the beginning of my journey of starting to know about the environment and the climate crisis. It was literally seeing the polar bears and the videos of the turtles with the straws in their noses that I know they don't get everybody, but I think that they really got me. And then that paired with starting to run a footwear label in 2016 and seeing firsthand how much waste our very tiny brand was creating was like the first little yucky moments in my mind that was like, hang on a second, everything's not like rainbows and smileys and something's wrong here. That was probably the beginning of my journey. Okay. And then would you say the same for yourself, Steph, or was it a little bit different for you? Um, Yeah, we do always tend to have pretty similar stories and experiences being sisters and being so close. And I guess I'll just add to Jess's story. And I think for us, we absolutely both did not care about the environment, I would say, when we were younger. But our mum always cared so much. And we grew up with this mum who was always like, girls, put that in the recycling bin. And we were like, oh, mom, I don't care, you know? (laughs) So it was always this thing that our mom really loved and cared about. And I just thought of it as this boring thing that my mom was nagging me about. And then it was really funny because as we grew up, we became those people who would like sort through our friends' recycling bins and be like, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, not putting that in the regular (laughs) bin and like, pick things out of the regular. I still do that to people. Like I did it to my partner like three days ago. I was like, no, this goes in this bin. So very much turned into our mothers, but it's kind of in a brilliant way because I think she instilled that in us from a really young age. 
And it was something that maybe seemed really boring when we were young, but inevitably as we got older and it became something that we started to realize how it was going to impact us. I think it just like the light switched on and it was really easy to start caring a lot. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things like mums know best and you don't even realize it at the time when you're like annoying teenager, but they really have got <laughs> it all right and they just know exactly <laughs> what we should be doing. How did that kind of go being a 19-year-old or were you both 19 when you went vegetarian? Like having those conversations 11 years ago I think would have been very different from today. Yeah, It was different and I remember at first I felt really self-conscious and I particularly being such a people pleaser, which I still am, this many years later is still like my number one thing that I struggle with. But I remember a really big part for me was that I didn't want to put people out. And so the concept of going over to someone's house for dinner or like my partner's house for dinner And saying that I'm a vegetarian and how annoying would that be that people would need to cook me my own meal? Like things like that were a really big deal. And I feel like they're not a really big deal anymore. Um, But it's also cool to see like if I reflect back on the impact that I was able to then have on my partner, on my family, on my friends, that it really filtered down to like, well, my mom was cooking and she was like, well, if Jess isn't eating, meat, then I just won't cook meat tonight. So it meant that at home we had less and less meat and things like that started to happen. That was early days of collectively, I think like our whole group starting to care more and starting to do more. I think that's so nice. I'm kind of in a similar situation. I've been a vegetarian for quite a while now and we have a Monday night dinner club, my friends and I, where we somebody will cook dinner and we all go over on a Monday night and just have a very wholesome night and play board games. And because I'm there, we have to have vegetarian food or they have to, again, cook something different for me. And I feel terrible at first, but then they're all like, no, it's fine. Like this food still tastes great. There's still protein in it. It's just a reason for us to kind of cook a new recipe. And I think inadvertently it's helping them understand that it doesn't really, like a meal doesn't consist of meat and three veg anymore. And there are so many more options. But again, I felt the exact same as you. You just don't want to inconvenience somebody. And I'm always that person that's like, I eat everything, just not meat and fish. (laughs) It's not really, it doesn't really work like that. I think we're starting to see habits shift and everything change. But in doing that, I actually just saw something before we jumped on today that Qantas is stopping giving out vegetarian meals on domestic flights. What? What do you mean? They're just the worst, most stupid business move they could make. Like we're getting bigger and mightier, this like vegetarian vegan movement. Why would they shoot themselves in the foot like that? But but that's really funny because I think it was our mum a couple of days ago that was saying to me like how Qantas is so great with sustainability and they've done all these sustainability initiatives and that feels like really counter to that. It's yeah. really strange. I don't really know apart from kind of cost cutting. I don't really think of, I can't really think of another reason why. Like why wouldn't you just make it then? If they're saying it's just going to be on domestic flights, that their snack options might be, they're going to be one size fits all and that might not be vegetarian every time. It could be a chicken sandwich or a ham and cheese croissant or something like that. But just, well, then why not make it just a cheese and tomato then and just let everybody be vegetarian and then help your carbon footprint as a company? So true. So in opposition as well to 
the way that internationally they're moving. Like recently Steph was in the US and she sent me that like the meal, the free meal on the flight that everyone got in economy was like, was it an impossible burger? Yeah, it was on Delta and we got impossible burgers. Like it was unbelievable. That was the lunch option. So it's so backwards that Qantas would be doing that. Yeah, it feels embarrassing for Australia. I feel embarrassed. Yeah, I feel like it's those things that like you take three steps forward and a couple of four steps backwards. It's just, yeah, very strange, but just definitely on topic with today's conversation. How did you guys go though, starting a brand, obviously coming from the fashion industry, being around all of this consumerism and then being a part of kind of the influencer lifestyle where clothes are here, there and everywhere. How how did you survive through that period living as sustainably as possible? Oh, we didn't. <laughs> we were not living sustainably at all at that point. <laughs> we are very honest, as you'll notice. And so, yeah, we don't claim to have always been sustainable by any means. And I think that was actually part of what ended up driving us in this direction was seeing firsthand, you know, with ourselves, the lifestyle that we were living and all the waste that we were creating. So, when we were um, How to Live at first, which was our blog, turn podcast, we were, oh, our wardrobe was like huge. We had hundreds of shoes. We had hundreds of everything, sunglasses and bags and jackets and dresses, and we would never want to be seen in the same thing. So, yeah, I mean, we were always really drawn to things like vintage clothes and emerging designers, and it was actually just because we wanted to wear unique things. And so naturally we ended up accidentally kind of being environmentally conscious in that way and supporting, um, you know, small brands, but we were just not living in a sustainable way at all. And it wasn't until we created our own brand tubes, like Jess kind of mentioned before. And when we had our first order, we'd ordered like a thousand or a couple thousand shoes and they all arrived in these like plastic individual poly bags. And we were like looking at each other, like what the hell is all this plastic? And then each of them was stuffed with like more plastic and bits and pieces. And it was never even a conversation we'd had with the factory. Like they never said to us, how do you want them packed? We just order these shoes not even thought about it. So immediately we were like, okay, what's happening with the packaging? And then it wasn't until it was a couple of years into it that we started to kind of ask questions around, wait, what's actually going into them? Because we didn't even know. We would go to these markets in China and we're like, whoa, pretty fabrics everywhere. We want this one. We want that one. And then it started to be like, wait, how are these made? And who's making them? And when we would ask the questions and we would just kind of like get a giggle in return, we're like, wait, no, something's going on here. We better dig a little deeper than this. Oh my God. One time I, and this was actually like in, we had already started to think about our sustainable journey. And I was in China with our suppliers and we had started to look into lots of elements of the shoes. And then Claire, someone who works with us was with me. And it's always so helpful to have fresh eyes. And we had seen so many aspects of how the shoes are made while she was there. And then she turned to me one day and she said, do you know anything about the dyeing process of our materials? And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. I've actually never thought about it before. And you can tell that Stephanie and I, we weren't like seasoned in the fashion industry and like making things. We were very much like just learning as we went. 
And so maybe someone who'd had a lot of experience, I'm sure, would know to ask those questions. But I just had never thought about it before. So I turned to our supplier and I said, what, how are the shoot, how's the material dyed and can we go and visit it? And she burst out laughing and she said, no. And this is someone that we really trust or trusted at the time. And she said, no. And I asked why. And she said, well, they don't work close to here. And we had thought at that time that everything in our shoes was really close to each other. And also they only work at nighttime because they're not technically allowed to work during the day. So we can't even have videos because they really work in the dark. And I mean, working with your own label and making things offshore, I feel like that is probably quite a common occurrence. But I remember at the time being so shocked that you cannot leave a stone unturned if you care about the environment and you're making stuff because things like that happen all the time. Oh my gosh, that is petrifying. My jaw was just on the floor then. Because yeah, it's that thing how you just kind of assume you hope for the best and you don't really think to ask all of these questions about every single little bit and piece that goes into the puzzle. Yeah, like I just thought pink material was pink material. I didn't realize it was white material that somebody had dyed. I just like never even occurred to me. Yeah, and like where did all the toxic chemicals that were made to dye it end up, you know, like what waterway did it end up being dumped in? Like there are all these questions that in the first few years of running our business, we didn't know we were supposed to be asking or thinking about. Yeah. And like who was making those products in the middle of the night as well, like in the dark? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different elements that go into it. So how was that kind of business transformation then from using all of these kind of toxic dyes and chemicals and different supplies? How did you then transform into what you are today? So there was probably an 18-month period where little things like that kept happening. Maybe not to that extent. That was pretty bad. But we were trying to be more environmentally focused, but the way that we were running our business just didn't, wasn't aligned with that. And a really big part of that was we were, we had big retail partners who wanted a lot of newness from us. And every season they were like, right, are you meeting the hottest trend? Are you doing this trim? Are you doing this color? How are you going to introduce metallics in this way? And we were very much on the hamster wheel. And so while internally we had already had the moment where personally we were living much more sustainably, when we were coming to work, we were still on the hamster wheel and really did not know how to get off to the point that we started to have conversations about whether we should close our business, like whether we could ever make a fashion label that felt like it aligned with our environment. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Values, which was a really uncomfortable thing to 
sit with. And to be honest, I didn't think that it could be possible. Like I didn't really see a way forward in those moments. But then when the world stopped in like March 2020 and our orders went from great to zero and all of our retail partners cancelled anything they had planned with us, what felt really hard at the time actually provided an amazing platform for pause and just to pull back and really start to reassess everything. And if we wanted to close, that was going to be our moment. And if we wanted to change what we were doing, we knew that it had to be then. And that was kind of when we started to take the sustainability stuff really seriously. Up until then, it was like, okay, lowest hanging fruit one at a time. But this was like, right, everyone, all hands on deck. Let's do this. Let's be serious about it. This could be huge. That is really exciting. I think it's one of those things that, yeah, we need that pause. We need that kind of wake up call to really take action sometimes. And how did you find that your audience and your customers responded to the changes? Well, we were very nervous uh, because it meant, you know, we weren't going to do jewels and sequins and sparkly things anymore. And we came out with this really tight collection the first time around because it was what can we make these out of? And it was kind of, you know, recycled materials, plain colors, tight collection, one style, like we really pared it back a lot. And yeah, there were some complaints, but for the most part, people received it so well and absolutely loved the new direction. And it's helped us to build a whole new amazing customer base. And it's funny because when People asked us, were asking us these questions, you know, a year ago or two years ago when we first relaunched and they were like, how's the reception been? And we were like, amazing. Well, now two years later, oh my God, like our sales have gone through the roof and the reception um, has just, you know, it's exactly what people are looking for is ethical, um, you know, environmentally focused fashion. And I just think that if... When you're making like a business pivot like this, it's often really like daunting because you're like, all right, I've got these couple thousand customers and they really like what I've been doing. And if I change it, are they still going to keep buying from me? And people said this to us at the time, but it's hard to know it. They were like, but there's so many more customers, like so many more thousands and thousands of customers that are actually going to love this, that even if you lose a few hundred of your current customers, you're opening yourself up to something so much bigger. And it's hard to really feel that when you're making the change and you're hearing criticism. And now it's like, oh my God, like it's just, we feel so great about what we're doing, but also the reception has just been unbelievable and it's given us a platform to Um, you know, without much team growth, our sales have grown massively and we're able to do way more good. So it's been really cool. That is so exciting. And do you think that, you know, how you were kind of saying that you were just nervous about that core community and your core customer base losing a couple of hundred, did you lose a lot of those customers and then gain all of these new ones? Or did the, you kind of transform those ones that were into the sequins and into the sparkles and into the faster fashion into more of an ethical process and shopping style? We definitely tried to, or when we still try to like educate our customers on why this is important, like a big part of the reason that we stopped doing like the jewels and the sequins was A, because they were made out of crap, but also because 
Um, like you get bored of them in five seconds, right? Like the idea of sustainable fashion, I mean, I really hate the term sustainable fashion, but environmentally focused fashion is that like it needs to stand the test of time in your wardrobe. You have to wear that for years. And are you going to want to wear something that's so wild for many years? I don't know. Like, and that's something that we at Tubes are constantly discussing because my little fashion heart loves all the extra add-ons. Like I love fun stuff. I love loud things. I love things that make people's jaw drop. I find it so fun, but how can we make it work and be environmentally focused? So I don't know if you've seen, but like we came up with this thing that's basically, well, we call it a thingy, but essentially you've got your shoe, which is like your plain everyday shoe that you can keep for a real long time and wear. And then there's a thingy, which is an add-on that threads onto your existing shoe. And that's where you get like your fun, frilly stuff. But then at the end of the day, like when you get bored of that, which you inevitably will, you can take it off and you'll still have your plain sandal underneath, which hopefully you won't get bored of as easily. So we're trying to do things that service them as well. Like we're still trying to find things. So we're actually coming out with a collaboration with Pinatex soon, Pineapple Leather. They're doing very cool things and they have amazing metallics. We haven't been able to do metallic since we did our big environmental pivot, but they do it really well. And so we're happy to get on board because we love what they do and it's fun and it offers our customers what they want, that like really loud, perfect for festival season, all that stuff, but also it's made out of pineapple skin. How cool is that? That is really cool. It's one of those things that like since I've been starting to shop more sustainably from our, what, what did you call it, Inv- environmentally focused fashion, I've stopped buying prints because I'm just like prints date faster than any plain color will. But it is also so heartbreaking because I was that person that would always wear a big colorful print and I just absolutely loved it. So I think it is one of those things, having the thingy is such a good way to kind of spice it up, make it a little bit different without having to purchase a whole brand new shoe. And I also noticed that you guys have launched your take back scheme as well. How, how's that going? (laughs) Um, It's hard. So right now our take back program is um, we take the shoes back at the end of their life and then we recycle them into mats. Actually, I just moved into a new house. I mentioned to you, I've just recently moved to the country and then we've got a shed out the back that my boyfriend is turning into his own little gym and we're getting the floor made out of recycled tubes, which I'm really excited about. So it's like that, what you could imagine, like it's basically mulching up the shoes and then making mats with them. They use them in warehouses and playgrounds and makeshift gyms in your shed and then our ideal is that we can actually start to make tubes into things that we could resell so that we're really truly closing the loop like right now it's very much we make this product and then we give it away to whoever can take it Um, but it would be really great if we could make it into a product and keep it within our business so that the loop was closed we have some ideas, but they all require lots of money and resources that we don't have right now. So stay tuned. No, I think it's really exciting. And I think it's also one of those things that when you are a 
business that's not super duper huge just yet, you can trial all of these new things and you can test it out to see if it will work and will people actually send their shoes back? And if they do, what can we make from them and how are we going to kind of do something new? So I think it's really exciting to see, but it's also probably a good sign if people haven't finished with their tubes just yet and they're still holding on and they're still using them and wearing them every day. Mm, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, we want to encourage them to wear them into the ground and then when they're truly ready to die, they can come back to us. Yeah, yeah. like part of the environmentally conscious side of things is also making them as durable as possible. So we don't want to be making shoes that we can make into mats or whatever tomorrow, but realistically people wear their shoes until, you know, they're completely dirty and falling apart, hopefully years after you've gotten them and then what do you do with them then? You send them back to us. No, I think it's really great and it's really exciting to see. And it's also part of that kind of corporate responsibility of being responsible for what you're creating by having the take back scheme. It's going, well, you're not going to just let it kind of go into landfill. You're going, well, no, give it back to us and we'll take responsibility for what we ultimately created at the start. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Perfect. So the last question that I want to ask both of you is one action that our listeners can do today or tomorrow that's super actionable that can help save our planet. So maybe Steph, I'll throw you in first. That is such a great question. And I would say one action they could take is to buy less stuff. It's a stopping doing things. It's a not it's a non-action. Stop doing that. Yeah, I feel like it's a, it's a conversation we have a lot about, and it's why we don't like the word sustainability, because when brands are calling themselves sustainable, you're thinking, great, this is sustainable for the planet. I'm going to go out and buy all the sustainable things, and, that, and that's going to be doing great things for the planet. But I think one of the really big issues is just our population growth and how much stuff is getting produced. And if we're all buying too much stuff, more than we need, then there kind of is no sustainable way to support that. So I think we need to buy less when we do buy things that we need or that we really love, buying things from conscious brands and brands that are doing things better. Uh, but yeah, I think that is a key piece of the puzzle, but it's also really hard because we, Jess and I both love to go shopping more her than me. She's like a total shopaholic. And when I'm in her vicinity and we're shopping, like she like rubs off on me really hardcore. <laughs> so like, you know, we, we've even like recorded and posted on tubes, like a meditation that before you want to buy something like stop, slow down, feel into it. Do you really need this? Because I know for me, like if I'm impulse purchasing, that's when I make my worst decisions. And I'm like, why did I do that? Whereas if I'm like thinking about it, I wait a couple of days, I do really decide that I need it or love it, then it feels very different. Love it. Very non-actionable. It's great. And Jess, what's yours? I like that one. I want to say that one. Um, <laughs> I, I will say, I will add to that. Um, I guess I will say I know we spoke about the vegetarianism earlier, so I, I won't touch on that, but that's a really good one. And the other thing that I will add is um, to move banks. So a lot of people don't know that 
when you bank with one of the big banks, you're basically investing your money in fossil fuels. I don't know if people who listen to this podcast are good with money, but I have never been. And I know I never understood the idea that when the bank had my money, like I was holding my savings in the bank, that was actually money that they were investing in things. On my behalf, not on my behalf, I still don't understand it enough to be able to say that, but they use your money to invest and make more money. And they are investing in really bad stuff that doesn't align with your values, most likely. So there are some great banks that do a lot better things like Beyond Bank and Bank Australia. And if you put your money there, they invest in nice things. And better yet, when you're going to leave the bad bank, you're going to send them an email and you're going to say, hi, I'm a young person. I care about the climate and I'm leaving your bank because you invest in baddies. And if they get enough of those emails, then they won't invest in baddies anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's great. Two things that we can, well, one thing we won't be doing and then one thing you can be doing tomorrow. So that is great. Thank you both so much for coming on today. It's been so great to chat. Thank you so much. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. <laughs> 